Make It Right, the manufacturing podcast. I was recently reading a book that came out in 1951, and the author was describing the incredible pace of life, how it was hard to focus, to carve out quality time for self and family. Almost 70 years on, we're still struggling with this issue, and the distractions have multiplied exponentially. And even with the countless devices that are supposed to help us be more productive, this is being called the age of distraction. People are wearing the term busy as a badge of honor, but studies show we aren't more productive, we aren't more happy or healthy, and we aren't working less. The state of business has been downloaded to us by previous generations, and it's time for a reboot. Welcome to the Make It Right podcast. I'm Janet Eastman, and this week, my guests are two gentlemen who figured out how to break this cycle of busy and take back control. Dave McEwen is a leadership consultant and the author of a new book called The Self-Evolved Leader, and Kevin Snook is a leadership advisor and author of Make It Right, Five Steps to Align Your Manufacturing Business from the Front Line to the Bottom Line. So gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to each other and welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Janet. It's great to be back on with you here. And, and Kevin, great to, to um, meet you over the airwaves. Yeah, it's nice to be on as well, Janet. And, um, and Dave, I, you know, I've, I'm a big fan of your book. And as I was reading through your book, um, to me, it was really like, you know, looking into my own soul as well. So I think there's a, a lot of things that we have in common. and It's going to be a great discussion. Excellent. Looking forward to it. So Dave, you're in California. Kevin, you're in Asia. I'm in Canada. So we're going to take this from a global perspective. We're really going to look at this problem. This, this busyness, this distraction problem, it's everywhere. Now, can either one of you give me an idea of the financial benefit a company can gain from getting their business and their teams aligned and refocused so that we're not all running around like chickens with our heads cut off? You know, I think it's a... It's a hugely important one, the issue of alignment. The, the reality is, I think, we are too quick uh, in our teams and groups to get to a point where we think that we've made a decision and then we go out and start implementing. But the reality is that in most cases, just due to human nature, um, most folks walk out of that room with a slight different understanding of what it is that we've just agreed to. Uh, and so we go off and start implementing in different ways. And, and so what happens is we, we realize that um, kind of like in a golf swing, when you get that moment where you strike the golf ball, if you're off by just a millimeter, the golf ball doesn't end up a millimeter away. It ends off, you know, in the bunker, in the rough, or in my case, three holes over. And so we as a team have to come back and, and re-kind of assess where we're going or what we're doing or what we thought we were doing, essentially realigning each other. And if you think about just the sheer amount of time spent in doing that, um, add up the financial impact of everybody's salary and maybe the meeting room that we need to book and maybe there's some refreshments at the cost of just realigning ourselves is, is, is really huge and so um, my perspective is always if you can slow down that moment of decision making so that you can get onto implementing it quicker because you're more aligned that's going to save you money in the long run Kevin would love to hear your thoughts on that too yeah and I love the analogy about the golf shot and it really is that idea around not only taking your time when you make the decision, but being very clear what your priorities are before you go into that decision-making process. 
So right. for me, it's around if, you, if you're working on your priorities, you, you've taken the time to figure out what the company priorities are, what each individual's personal priorities are, and you get them well aligned, then the decision-making process becomes very easy. And uh, Janet, you mentioned around, you know, what's the, what's the cost to companies of this? And, you know, as I work a lot with manufacturing companies, those costs really go down to the bottom line. And um, I, I would say, even for relatively, you know, if, if we're talking about a $30 million company um, in sales revenue, then the savings on this are really in the millions already. And uh, we've got plenty of use cases where, whether you're working on scrap or effort reduction or just growing the business. Um, we have people coming back year after year saying, Kevin, what's the next million dollar saving we're going for? And so it really is this, you know, we're really talking about huge money. And when you look at the growth of a business, that's where it really starts to escalate. And I guess people can't really see that, can they? Because they've been operating in a certain way. And until you show them that there is this savings there and you can really make it happen, they're, really not aware of how much money they're actually burning. Yeah, well, we, we become very used to what we're hanging around every day, and that becomes the normal. And one of the benefits of bringing somebody like Dave into your business is he can challenge those norms and he can look at it with a different set of eyes. And it's not that he's any smarter or he's, he's just seen more. He's seen more of these cases in different, different companies and can catch you outside of your own sense of busyness. Hmm. I think you're right. I, I, by no means am I any smarter than most people in the room. Um, but but you're right, Kevin. It's it's definitely a degree of pattern recognition. I think it's also, and I'm sure you've experienced this. There's there's an element of unsexiness about doing all of that realignment around um, company priorities and department priorities and individual priorities. That in a lot of instances, people just feel like it's holding them back from doing the quote unquote actual work that we have to do. And and for a lot of people, there's a resistance to that initially. And what you have to do, or what I try to do, is show them that in in spending a little bit more time at the upfront looking at those things. Um, then you get out to realize those savings down the, down the line and, and, and what you can do with those savings and, and how you can grow your business and how you can reinvest that. I'm sure you've seen something similar like that as well. Yeah, and Dave, you talk about the unsexiness of it. That, that, that's definitely true. But I think there's another part of it as well. And that is um, CEOs and a lot of companies are designed to be entrepreneurial. They're looking at risk-taking, growing the business, driving forward, looking outside of the company. Yeah. And what I've realized just fairly recently is that when, when somebody comes to them and says, look, we need to improve the internal structure of the company, they have, it's, it's not only that they have no time for that, they don't even understand that concept because they're a different kind of beast. And yeah. as they're looking out, they're going out hunting, somebody else has to be back at home, you know, putting the structures and the systems in place. And that's where I see a huge difference between what the COO is doing versus what the CEO is doing. And I think quite often we try to convert the CEO to be more open to the people stuff or the structure stuff. And, and what I'm, it's only fairly recently I've been realizing this, that that's trying to, you know, that's trying to make a lion eat apples. You know, it, it just doesn't work. What you need to be able to do is, is identify what they're really good at, get them focused on that part, and then find out who else in the organization is really good at building the stability, the foundation. 
um, and and not put you know the wrong people in the wrong places. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's that's hugely valuable, and and it's it's it also interesting. Um, dynamic that sometimes arises you've got to make sure that there's a clear demarcation between those roles as well that um i've seen often that those entrepreneurial ceos they pay lip service to the internal process changes that are happening but because they're still the ultimate decision maker they, they can quite often just come in and like um an arsonist just start lighting fires to things like we're not going to do that anymore or i don't like that process or or don't put that in place and, and, and there's got to be um, a clear designation of the roles and responsibilities between the CEO and the COO based around what the company needs to grow, not around what those individuals in those roles desire to do on any given day. Yeah, and that's exactly the part where the CEO struggles is putting those roles and responsibilities in place. Because again, that, that, that feels like it's slowing down the organization. Ah, just let me get on. I just want to talk to some more salespeople. I just want to grow the business. And right. uh, so having that interruption pattern to the CEO's normal way of thinking, uh, I think, again, that's where somebody coming from outside can say, uh, you know, and you, you, you talk about uh, several great examples in the book around, um, a, a lot of the way you structured the book is a conversation between somebody from outside the organization and someone who's caught in that inside way of thinking. Right. And it is just a matter of, uh, we, we call it self-awareness, but quite often for self-awareness, we need somebody else to prompt us on that. Um, but yeah, driving that self-awareness and then knowing where those gaps are. We talk a bit in, in these two books about maintaining focus. You've got to keep focus and focus is really hard to keep these days. So, and Dave, you say right in the book, we have to break out of this cycle of mediocrity. So how do we get our attention back to focus on the things that are really important? Because if you say that the CEO is off chasing this one idea over here, well, you know, the COO is just trying to maintain the company, but they can't get anything exciting happening and they're in this cycle of mediocrity how do we bring this all together what practices can you share with leaders to help them get their attention management back and get focused on the real job at hand that that vision that north star as you called it in your book dave um yeah and it's it, you you teed up the um start of the conversation just brilliantly which is we've been talking about a version of this for 40 50 60 years and we'll probably continue to talk about it for the next 40, 50, 60, 100 years, who knows? But it's just getting so prevalent and so fast and just the, the sheer number of tugs on our attention on any given day from phone calls and emails and Slack messages and social media and news feeds and people walking into your office. And, uh, it, you know, it's just ramping up. Um, to such an extreme pace and we have we have over glorified the hustle uh, unfortunately i i believe um we've sort of um given more credence to this notion that so long as we're busy so long as we're kicking up dust we're making progress and and, and i think that that's doing us and our people a disservice because if, if you're a leader that's out there that's just constantly kicking up dust, the reality is that your team underneath you are, are trying to scramble like crazy just to keep up with that. Um, and so I talk about a, a number of different practices that leaders can do. The first one at a really high level um, is just to practice being present. And by that, I mean really simple on a, on a um, granular level. 
not having your cell phone out when you're talking with somebody, not having a laptop computer or an iPad out, essentially just trying to move technology away, taking a, a, a breath and just committing to be in front of the person that you're in front of and giving them the time and attention that they deserve and that they need from you. Um, I think that the more that we can practice that presence and, and just that state of being there, the more that some of the um, other parts will, will fit together. I think the second um, most powerful thing that leaders can do is start to build an implementation rhythm for themselves. Uh, if you think about leadership, there are maybe three or four different horizons of focus that you have to think about. There's the long-term strategic direction uh, of your organization or your team, um, sort of annual, three years, five years, that kind of time frame. Then there's the more lesser or sort of lower to ground level quarterly aspects what are we doing this quarter then monthly what do we need to get done then weekly and, and daily and the more that you can be specific about which horizon of focus you're working out of um, and to, to discuss that with the folks in front of you the more beneficial that that can be because again to go back to those entrepreneurial CEOs they can talk at at any level and people just believe that what they're saying is what we have to do right away and they may not be saying that they might be um, they might be looking for some pushback against whatever it is that they've got out there so just trying to be really mindful of what horizon of focus you're talking about can be hugely beneficial hmm. In both yeah, Dave, I'm, I'm, I'm fully behind that as well and um, the I think it was Peter Gibbons on the on the podcast that talked about a, a suggestion from a CEO becomes an order, yes. and uh, I think that that's absolutely right. It, this whole idea around just because he's the boss, you know, he knows best, and we've got to do whatever he says. I think being open, being able to open up the organization to challenge everything, um, is critical. And and if you can use a tool like a prioritization matrix to actually have discussions around. Well, look, this is where we see the priorities. This is why we see the priorities as they are. Now, what are we going to agree as an organization not to do? Mm -hmm. And that one, that one just comes off the table completely. We don't talk about that for the next quarter or the next year, you know, whichever part of your planning process you're in. And, and so taking things off the table. The other thing I would say that is critical is just good old-fashioned discipline. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of cases, we feel like we need to pander to the needs of people who want to have their um, mobile phone out in a meeting. And the answer quite often is just no, that, that's just not going to be one of the norms. It's not going to be one of the things that's acceptable, you know, in this particular, in this type of meeting or even in this company. And so what we want to be able to do is be focused on the, on the goal at hand, get that done, and then move on. You were talking um, earlier, Dave, about how um, entrepreneurs, you know, they come in with a great idea and they start kicking up dust everywhere and the employees are all kind of going, okay, he wants us to do this now. And I was reading recently where um, this person was advising that if your boss comes in and you know what your priorities are and your boss comes in and says, I, want, I think we should start doing this, that you're supposed to turn around and say to your boss, well these are the priorities that we had laid out that I was supposed to be working on. Where do you want me to slot this in, in order to address this? What has to come off the table? And I think that this, this takes us to a conversation about both of your books talk about the need for employees to feel empowered 
And how do you make an employee feel empowered to turn around and look at their boss and say, well, I can't do what you've asked me to because you've asked me to do all of these things and I don't know what you want me to do now. So let's talk a little bit about empowerment. Okay, so, so for me, the big thing around empowerment is go, goes in line with listening. Um, first of all, the boss, when he comes in with his, uh, his list of suggestions and his ideas, he's doing it from, from a good heart. I think generally people um, want to do the right thing. They want to come in. They want to make suggestions. They want to be helpful. Um, but having that list of priorities very clear, having your action plan very clear up front always gives you a frame of reference to go back to. So you're, you're right in saying that, um, hey, look, where does that fit with everything else that I'm doing? And be able to have that conversation. The leader has to show a level of vulnerability, a level of not knowing all the answers. Usually, if there's some kind of issue with hidden, uh, hidden communication issue between the leader and the person they're talking to. Um, e each of us go into a conversation with something in our mind and, and Quite often, that's not true about the other person. I've, uh, I've done a lot of studies within companies that I've worked with. And um, when, I ask, when I ask one level of the organization, what do you really want to achieve? They tell me. I ask the next level, what do you really want to achieve? They tell me. And it's exactly the same. But when I ask them what the other level is doing, they say completely the opposite. Mm. And so really, it's being able to have that open conversation, be able to listen with very generous ears when you hear something that you initially don't like. Yeah, I think that, that there's some great stuff in there. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I, I hear quite often from from leaders um, or from, from folks at any level of the organization that the uh, dilemma that you mentioned, Janet, which is the boss comes in and says, hey, I need you to do this. And mm -hmm. most people have a tendency to just say, okay, and then try to figure out how they're going to fit it in. And that just adds to the burnout and the and the, um, the stress that they that they have as they're taking more and more on. The reality is that if we're looking for empowerment, uh, empowerment can really only come from within. Um, you know, you can you can teach people what empowerment means. You can give them the environment in which it, they have the ability to 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 feel empowered. But it's it's really got to come from within. And I think one of those acts of saying, hey, I really like that idea. Here's my current to-do list. Would love to talk about, you know, where those priorities um, can shift, as Kevin mentioned. That's, that's building self-empowerment in the people um, underneath you. And, and, and to, to Kevin's point, the leader has to have that degree of vulnerability not to feel like they're being pushed back against. Um, and, and I think that's one of the key transitions that we're seeing happening in the world of leadership where we used to think that our leaders had to be so sure and confident in where we're going you know there's that old adage that leaders know the way show the way and go the way the reality is that in our complex environment our leaders can't know everything and 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 and, and the people that work from them know that and so what we're moving towards in this world of vulnerability that kevin mentioned is for a leader to say hey i don't know a hundred percent everything this is what i think this is where i think we should go what do you think do you want to come with me i think it's going to be a heck of a ride okay let's go and do it together rather than feeling this need to be a hundred percent confident that this is going to be the right thing for us yeah i see one of the key roles of leaders is to develop other leaders 
and you can't develop other leaders by telling people what to do. Um, you can only develop it by asking great questions, by getting them to think for themselves, by allowing them to try things and, and fail occasionally, and then have a supportive environment where you look at that together and say, okay, how do we review this? How do we make sure that we get the right steps in place so that, that doesn't happen again next time? And so it really is around being um, much more authentic, much more vulnerable. And one of the first things I say when I go into any company and speaking at each level of the organization is, I don't know this company or this business or your job as well as you do. It's just that there's no way I could possibly know that. If there's somebody running a production line, they're there every minute of the day. I have no idea what their struggles and their stresses and their, their challenges are. They yeah. need to be able to tell me and they need to be the ones to drive the answers to that. What I'm there for is a facilitator to help them ask questions that they may not have asked of themselves. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that um, one of the dynamics that I see happening out there, because we're moving so quickly, um, I, I feel that, and, and there are so many variables, I feel like most leaders believe, you know what, if I can just tell you what we need to do in this instance, or if I just help you out a little bit, if I just do this for you, we're going to get through all of this stuff together um, more quickly. And that comes from a good place for them. Let's try and achieve our goals um, in as fast a way as possible. Um, but like you said, Kevin, you can't, you can't scale building leaders off of that because you're therefore responsible um, for that every time that there's a problem, somebody's going to start to, to begin to develop this sense of, oh, I've got a problem, I'll just go see Dave, he's going to tell me what to do, or he's going to help me, or he's going to be the one that's sure. Um, and and that over time, our, our people develop a sense of learned helplessness, which is rather than trying to solve my own problems or feeling empowered, I'm just going to go to the boss because they're going to tell me what to do anyway, and they'll get us out of this sticky mess. And it's the opposite of that empowerment that, that we're talking about. And, and I love that notion of asking better questions. That is such the crux of a great leader these days is asking better questions. But again, that's a big mindset and behavioral shift for many people because it takes a lot longer. There's a lot more sense of risk in it. And there's, there's, there's just more of that vulnerability in it too. Uh, Dave, you work with a lot of entrepreneurial companies as well, like I do. And um, I, I see that there's not that many big companies. You know, we've got a lot of small companies and breaking that barrier between being a smaller company and then really starting to accelerate the growth. I think this is one of those key factors. For me, the, the team is the dream, right? And so if you're not developing the team, you will never reach the dream. And you cannot be a big company with one person in charge. Uh, you have to be able to let that go and, and build the team capability in order to be able to reach your dream. 100%. And, and also, I, I think just to allude to what you were talking about earlier and the distinction between the CEO and the COO, there comes a point in which you've got to stop viewing the individual roles in the organization from a heads basis and you've got to think about it in terms of the hats. So too many companies are running around and their job descriptions are just whatever the person does in that job every day. And, and there's the sense of, of things can fall through the cracks. And at some point, there's got to be this transition of just talking to a client today about it where you essentially take you sort of say right we're going to put the org chart to the side we're going to start with a blank sheet of paper and we're going to start to say what does this business need to run to scale to grow so that it's not dependent on individuals or personified success but that it's built on something that's more akin to a system or a drumbeat or a rhythm and you've got to redesign your chart for what it needs in its growth yeah, and Cal Misner was talking a lot about this on the last podcast as well, Janet, around 
having those conversations with the employees and finding out what really turns them on at work. To me, this is, this is another key part of it. Each time we go through this organization appraisal, if you like, or, or looking at the roles and responsibilities, it gives us an opportunity to fit people into the roles that are giving them strength and helping them feel empowered and making them feel like at the end of the day, they're fulfilled in the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we don't have an organization design and then that sticks forever. We need to be continually looking at that, the roles and responsibilities and the people that we have uh, in order to be able to find the right fit for each person. Well, I'm, sorry, So, well, when Cal was talking about that in that previous podcast, he was talking about how when people finally find that position that is the perfect fit for them, um, they get into a kind of a nice flow. Now, Kevin, you and I talked about flow recently on other podcasts. You talk about flow in the work environment, Dave, in your book. Let's talk a little bit about what flow can feel like for an organization that's really got it happening. Dave, tell me what you've seen with a company that's really got flow. Sure. And, and funny enough, it's, it's, it, it's essentially a summary of a lot of what we've been talking about. The one word for me that sticks out whenever I think about uh, flow is clarity. Um, so first of all, it's clarity on direction, on that vision, on where we're going, on those um, uh, priorities that we have that Kevin mentioned, um, because that gives us the North Star. We all know where we're supposed to be headed. We can base our decision making around that. Um, secondly, then it's just clarity on the on the rules involved and the, the outcomes required. So if we know that we're going to enter a new marketplace, okay, well, what are the rules that are going to get us there, and what are the outcomes required from each of those rules? And then the third one, and, and one that I think is is missing from a lot of organisations, is that clarity around decision making. So we know that drumbeat, that rhythm of decision making. We know when we can um, address something from a strategic perspective versus a, a tactical perspective and I, I love what Kevin said earlier about um, getting to that point where you know what you're saying no to as an organization and we're not going to review that for another six months or another 12 months um, I, I think that that's so important because there's a tendency to want to drop those new exciting ideas in and every time we drop a new exciting idea a new squirrel that we're going to chase or something that we're going to go after we, we pull everybody we, we reduce that clarity and pull everybody back into playing flock ball where we just run around trying to to find the soccer ball and we kick up a bunch of dust and so we lose that alignment that focus that we had um, and so for for me although it doesn't mean that everything's absolutely smooth every single day it means that we understand how to address the problems in front of us and how to how to address changes to um, the external environment or what we're working on if we need to uh, rather than just feeling that sense of chasing the ball everywhere. That to me is what flow in the workplace looks like. What's it look like for you, Kevin? No, that's a, that's a great um, description of it. And I think the, the side to me is that in, you know, in manufacturing, you have daily business, regular daily business, which is you know, making the products and allowing them to go out smoothly. And, and within that kind of environment, flow is relatively easy because it's, it's, it's consistent. You may have a maintenance shift or you may have something else that, that, uh, that you need to be able to find a way to schedule and, and um, plan effectively. But flow in that example is fairly easy. Where it becomes much more difficult is where you introduce a new initiative, where there's some kind of disruption. And um, 
what I've found in organizations that don't have very clear roles and responsibilities, very clear roadmap of how to achieve things, um, then they get in a huge mess during those disruptive times. Uh, the ones that are in flow, um, it, it's almost like a pleasure. It, it's, uh, it's, um, it's an exciting addition to the work rather than a frustrating uh, interruption to the work. Uh, and that really is, you know, Dave mentioned it, roles and responsibilities are absolutely clear. Gateways for each different stage of the, uh, in this case, of the, of the initiative being developed. Uh, making sure that people have some discipline following the process. Um, and again, this is where structure and discipline uh, enhance freedom rather than, rather than restrict it. I guess ultimately, it's the 21st century and the messages usually come from the top down. So it has to start with the leader. So from both of you, I'd like to hear your sense on what you believe is the ultimate role of the leader. Dave, you're calling your book The Self-Evolved Leader and Kevin, you talk about aligned leader. So what, Dave, in your opinion, is the ultimate role of a leader? Sure. So for, for me, it's to resist the urge of heroic leadership and instead um, to help your team achieve their common goals and in doing so become the best version of themselves. That for me is what it's all about. It, it, you know, it mirrors exactly what Kevin said, said earlier. The team is the dream. If we're not building on people in what we're doing, then we're not really leading. We're just kicking up dust. And what about you, Kevin, the aligned leader? Yeah, for me, the, the two of the steps in the align process are absolutely critical. The first one is aim from the heart. Um, and that is have a very clear vision with the organization that uh, you could keep going back to to show that clarity that Dave was talking around, around this is where we're going, guys. And, and there's a sense of excitement and, and team uh, alignment towards that. The second part then for the leader is to give help and support. And the role is not to be telling people what to do, is to be watching what they do, watching the way the organization is functioning, and then seeing where help and support in different guises uh, needs to come in. Um, so set a very clear direction and then give the team the help and support that they need to be successful. I guess ultimately, when we all go to work, we really want to know what we're supposed to be doing. And when we don't really understand or if there's some confusion around what that is, that's where the problem is. So Yeah, and people, people um, are good people. I, I've, never, I've never met an employee who intentionally came in to do a bad job that day or to have a crappy day at work or to go home feeling unfulfilled. There's, I've never met anybody like that. What we need to be able to do as leaders is to... Is to uh, bring the very best out of each individual and uh, setting the environment to be able to do that. And then um, making sure that as they go through that journey, you know, we, we talk about a very clear direction. Um, there's never a final goal for a business. A goal wants to keep, a business wants to keep evolving and keep growing. But there needs to be some milestones along the way that we can celebrate. So having that opportunity to be able to give people the recognition and support that they need as they move ahead keeps the work fulfilling. And for me, that's a critical factor of continually growing. I appreciate both of your time. We're almost out of time, so I think we better uh, leave it there. But gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, joining me to talk in uh, a rather engaging discussion. And I think we probably should do this again sometime if you're both up for it.
Absolutely. Thank you, Janet. Really appreciate it. And Kevin, great to have the discussion with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too, Janet. And um, it's great when, you know, we have people to bounce ideas off as well. And I, there's a, a few notes that I've taken that, uh, that I want to go back and look at as well. So it, it's fantastic to have this kind of conversation. Thanks again, gentlemen. That's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed our leadership discussion. Dave McEwen is a leadership consultant and author of a new book called The Self-Evolved Leader, which is in stores now. And Kevin Snook is a leadership advisor and author of Make It Right, Five Steps to Align Your Manufacturing Business from the Front Line to the Bottom Line. Kevin is also the sponsor of the Make It Right podcast. You can find his book on Amazon. Please check out our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds that you can find on our podcast page at luciditi4.com. And also subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. Until next time, I'm Janet Eastman. Thanks for listening to the Make It Right podcast.